This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what's an Easter person look like? I've talked about it a couple times as here we are in the season of Easter, uh, a season of Easter that has us living in the tension of, well, I'm supposed to be an Easter person, but man, I almost wanted to complain about the humidity that's coming. I'm supposed to be an Easter person. I wanted to be excited about the fact that the seasons are changing, but now I just want to go back to the season we had two weeks ago. So what do I do in this light? How do I live in this reality? Well, to be an Easter person means that you live daily, daily in the reality of Jesus' resurrection. That you actually wake up realizing he's resurrected and because of that I'm changed. And that in the waters of baptism, his resurrection is conferred to me because I have a baptism like his and so too I have a resurrection like his. That's Easter reality. That's the gospel in a nutshell for us. And that's going to guide us into the text this morning as we'll be in 1 John. So don't lose that. Have it set there. So pure and simple, there it is. Now open up 1 John chapter 5 is where we're going to be. So as you're turning there, what I want you to consider is how John has taken us along the way to these different tension points. Tension points of people who are in Christ who know God asks us to go one way, but sometimes we just live in a different way. Now, in chapter 5, what we're going to hear is three different themes that John's going to bring forth. He's going to bring forth this idea of obedience, love, and belief. Obedience, love, and belief. But he's packaged them in different ways at different parts in his letter here to modern-day Turkey. Now, in chapter 2, all three appeared. So in chapter 2, and I'm just kind of high level, so just to share, we're going to be in 5, but I just want to show you he's done it before. In chapter 2, it's verse 3 and 4 where he talks about obedience. And then in 7 to 11, he talks about love. And then in 18 to 27, he talks about belief. So again, obedience, love, and belief. But here in chapter 5, he actually goes at it a little bit differently. He goes at it, and he's going to start and use belief like bookends and start with belief on both sides of it. And he's going to make this sandwich with love and obedience right in the middle. And we're going to watch him unpack this uh, to see it set for us. So you've got a whole lot there, but I want you to hear this development that he has here in the first five verses of 1 John 5. So listen again for belief that's going to almost bookend it, and you'll hear love and obedience right in the middle. For everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments and in His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So a commentator, and kind of helping to unpack this, I thought just kind of his phrases spoke really well. I want to share it with you. This is a gentleman named John Stote. He wrote this about this exact passage. He said, we cannot believe in Jesus Christ without loving the Father and his children. This is verse 1 and 2. So you can see that right. You can't love the Father without loving God and his children. We cannot love the Father without obeying his commands and overcoming the world, verse 2 to 4. And we cannot overcome the world without believing Jesus Christ, 4 and 5. 
See, it's all tied together. These tests of do we have belief, do I have love, and do I have obedience, you, you can't separate them. Uh, they are completely intermingled. Uh, they are all tied together. So John 5 begins and ends with belief. Yet in between, what John does here is point out that everything is concerned with love and obedience. <laughs> so if you say, I believe in God, but you have no love and you have no obedience, well, John's raising the question, do you really have belief then? Because if you say you have belief, but there's no love and there's no obedience, he goes, maybe you believe in something uniquely different. So as we start to unpack, I want to look at them now just a little bit slower. So we saw it in the full picture, and now I want to look at them one at a time. So verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. It is birth from God. So it's kind of an interesting piece. This belief comes from where? From your birth. It's the centerpiece of new life. You are actually born again of God. So where does the belief come from? God actually gives this to you in in new birth. New birth that may come to you first in the waters of baptism, may come to you first through the spoken scriptures that come to you, may come as the Lord prepares himself and speaks to you, but is then affirmed in baptism. God works in many ways, but he promises unique ways that he will be there. Through his spoken word, he promises to work in baptism. He promises to be at the Lord's Supper. So where is it that this belief comes to life? And for some of you, where is the tension? This sounds like God's just given me everything I need and I see it in birth. Well, I would suggest the tension comes in two. And I think this is why John bookends belief and belief. Because in verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. Here's the tension. So I believe, but the commandments seem awfully rigid. They seem like commands. How many of you like being commanded? Anyone? Any takers? All right. Well, that answer is that. So just so you're clear, if we ever want to do something to the church, don't start your presentation with, I command you, congregation, is not going to go over well with this group. So God speaks of commandments, and to some of us, then we sit there and say, well, they're all set there, and obeying the commandments is too tough. You don't get to command me. I'm an independent thinker. You don't get to command. Command? I'll show you a command. Or commandments? You know what? They're just so hard, I've stopped trying. It's so difficult, I don't even attempt to do it anymore, because in my trying to do it, I always find myself falling behind, and therein lies the problem. If we can't live up to it, why even, why even try? Do you ever let your house get so dirty that you said there's no use in cleaning it? Don't tell me if that's right now. Don't. I know. Don't, don't let me know that. But sometimes we get so far behind, we figure there's no way out. It can happen sometimes with debt. It can happen with workload at work. I can't even catch up on what I need to do. I can't get done the assignment I have, and you just gave me a new assignment. Honestly, it's just going to go on the back burner of back burners. You want me to pay this bill? You have no idea the queue that's in front of you before that one gets paid. And in so doing, we actually end up doing the worst thing of all, nothing, because we just feel so lost. So John here in chapter 5 says, if you want to understand love and obedience, you've got to make sure that, how many of you, I'll check this out, Oreo cookies, any takers? Okay, 
Just double stuff. Okay, I know, for some people that's a bridge too far. For some people it's where it starts. I realize it's a tough thing with filling. Uh, but what you have here is if you want to understand love and obedience, John says, you've got to make sure you have a cookie that's got belief on both sides. Uh, that cookie only works when it's got two wafers. Have you ever tried to eat just the center? And I know some of you as kids did. I know there are some kids who know how to peel off the cookie, get just the creamy filling, eat the creamy filling, and then leave like a pile of black cookies. I know that because my brother and I were pretty good at it. My grandfather always had Oreo cookies. And then we'd create double stuffs when they made them. We're like, yeah, we've been doing that for a long time. You guys are fools. Like, you don't have to like buy extra stuff, just make them. But we'd always have like triple stuffs, and then you just had like five leftover black cookies. So the weird thing for us then is belief, if belief is that cookie shell and we just want to go at the center without belief, how many of you say, well, the world just needs, what the world needs now is, what did Burt Bacharach tell us? Love. Oh, yeah, that's right. I knew some people would just let Burt Cart speak into him. Love, sweet love. Well, Burt may have been right about certainly it'd be great to have it, but as John presents, you can't just have love. You actually have to have belief. Love with just love is kind of, well, it's random, and it doesn't know, it has nothing to inform it. Do you ever have someone say they love you, and then like they hit you in the back? I love you. You're like, I have a very different definition of love than what just I experienced. I know they're just patting you on the back, but you kind of the rest of the day, you're like, man, maybe I don't exercise my back enough, but that one really, uh, that one stung. John's got this shell around us to set there. So, as we look to see this obedience and to know where it goes, obey his commandments becomes kind of difficult. See, think about the life of a congregation and how we actually all experience things differently. How many of you were together with all these people on Monday? Tuesday? Yeah, see, we all live a very different week. We all see things uh, in a different way. And as we look at this different way, we think about how John loves us. For the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So now we have to balance out in all the different experiences we see. How is it that God's commandments aren't burdensome, but when I hear God's command, at times what I hear is, Michael, stop. Now, Michael, stop in that voice doesn't say, this is going to be great. (laughs) What I hear in my mind is, burden coming your way. When God says, you should not, you shall not, you hear the Ten Commandments, you hear, well, some of you are like, man, I hear joy. You hear joy because God has worked in you to understand what's happening. But for many, the challenge of the commandments is, I'm not living up, and if I'm not living up, then I'm moving on. And moving on sometimes doesn't mean moving into church. It means moving on and I'm not coming back. And I'm not as worried about you not coming to church as I'm worried about you now being disconnected from the head of the church, who is Christ. But the church is a vessel through which Christ communicates. Therefore, if you leave the church, you've likely left God. You may not like that God decided to communicate through his church. Like some of you might be like, I don't understand why God did this whole church as a communication tool. He did. And sometimes we love what we do and other times we don't. But as we sit there and see that God's working through us in the places, it's not a burden. Now, I go back to my own childhood in the church and I have some different opinions as to what church was. See, as a child, you could ask me on different days. But for me growing up, church meant my mom and my dad saying, you guys know this. You don't have to be me. You all know this. Thank you. Mel's willing to say it. Get out of bed. The car is moving. And you have a choice. 
You can be in it, or you can be in it. It was my choice. I normally chose to be in the car. It was normally the way things went. Uh, And then growing up in church, I discovered, man, it felt like it was just monotonous. It was the same thing. It was the same people and memorizing this and the process in worship. Oh, we go through readings. We go through this. It seems the same. And I see the same people and I'm not sure what's going on. And it just seems so. Wow, this is good. We're, we're live, man. We are live here this morning. Just get everybody's extinguishing what they've always felt. They're just. For those who didn't know it, we received a long, boring blah. So we got quite a few things set there. The truth is, a lot of us have felt that. I felt that. And the thing is, when you come to church, we all come with different expectations. Some people come to church and their expectation is, I want to get, honestly, entertained. If you don't know that, then you are missing out on the Some people just want to be entertained. Some people want it to sound so great and so magnificent and so that, boy, and if it doesn't, I'm going somewhere else because you know what? Other people are more entertaining. There is a reason why people church shop. Did you know most of the time the one thing people do not tell me in church shopping is tell me what that church teaches? I do not hear people ask me, Pastor, I'm church shopping. Tell me more about what you actually teach and preach. But I do have people ask, can you tell me more about what happens and what activities you have and different ways that you can actually help serve me during the week and tell me more stuff you can do? They have never asked me, tell me your stance on the scriptures. And I mean that. That is not a church shopping question I am asked. But I am told I am church shopping. It's astounding uh, where we sit and how people kind of look at the way the world looks today. Now, Sunday, I also had several patterns in my life. Sunday meant, hey, I would sit behind the Knight family. I always did. The Knight sat right in front of the Merkers. It's just the way it was. And I knew also that sometimes I'd, I'd play music with David and Leroy. And I sat there. I was like, okay, this is my chance. I'd play some music with David and Leroy. We'd play the trumpet, and we had fun and kind of sat there. But it was always just there was stuff to do. But what's interesting is as I start to look back, I forget what church is really about is all the stuff that I thought was, get ready for this, Long, and boring, and blah. Because I was looking for the wrong thing. See, I thought it was about the same pattern, and I never realized that the pattern in worship is really about learning God's Word. You know, it took me until I was in my 20s that I realized the Lutheran worship service is nothing more than the Scriptures, spoken back and forth in a joyous harmony with a congregation and a pastor, a read and response effect. But you know what? Do you know how blind I was? I had the words in front of me every time, but because it didn't say the Bible verse behind it, I was convinced someone was making that stuff up. So I thought, you know, what is this? It wasn't until I go to the seminary I realized, what? This whole thing is just scripture? The professor's like, yeah, man. Like, this is kind of what we do. Kind of like we're set there. The church has so many great secrets, and they're open secrets. All we do is talk the word of God. All we do is have Christ at the center of everything. But many people who gather in church don't know it. Even though we've said it many times. We come to church and hear of Christ every week because as soon as we leave, the world gets to bombard us again that it's not about Christ. Christ isn't at the center and the church isn't telling you something. The church has secrets. They're hiding it from you. Your pastor refuses to tell you this. If he did, you'd lose your faith. 
Those are all fake cries of the world around you that say, oh, they're holding stuff back from you. They're not holding anything back from you. Do you know what's so intriguing as I got older and I look back at what it meant? Do you know what sitting behind the nights really meant to me as I look back at it? It meant realizing that part of going through life in church is going through life with people who sit in front of you and behind you. I discovered uh, that you could actually wear a tuxedo Sunday mornings. Did you guys know that? How many of you ever heard of prom? One of the coolest things. Like growing up in the church I grew up in, everybody, like maybe this isn't true now, but if you rented a tux, you actually had it until Sunday, like at like five or noon or until they close. Man, it was kind of cool. We go to church and you knew who went to prom. Because, man, they're like, Psh, I spent $100 for this tux. They walk in, they're like, mm hmm. Good to see you. And it was fun because we lived life together. We actually experienced it. And it wasn't, oh, do I have to go to church? It was like, you bet I'm going to church. I get to use this tux twice. So for those of you who are worried about saving money, man, you, you are good to go. And your threads looked wonderful. And girls who would wear gorgeous gowns that they'd worn the night before. Why? Not to get credit. Like, you know what? If I can wear this thing, why not wear it so God realizes I'm bringing my best? That I want to see this and that church is about living life together. And when I came to church, and certainly I would play trumpet with Leroy and with David, and then I discovered these are two men growing, dealing with life. And then I thought all church was about was people saying this. You guys know this. Peace be with you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And then I discovered that that life of saying good morning is lived out during the week. So I shook Mr. Ray's hand all the time. But let me tell you what, I didn't understand what shaking Mr. Ray's hand meant until I went to go see Mr. Ray's house with Helen, the mother who had died and caring for her. But I knew Ray because I'd shaken his hand so long that my impacting Helen when my mom took me to go care for Helen, it changes things. Because church wasn't then just people I sat next to, it was people I lived with. It was people I knew. It was people that actually had sat there so that we were all connected to the overcomer. See, this is where John's driving us. He drives us and says that we actually are connected to one who has overcome all the burdens of the world. Gathering and worship gives you a front row seat to watch life unfold. And as it unfolds, some of it's exciting. Some of it's horrible. There was a lady in the congregation I grew up in and as a kid, I thought, man, really? This is, you have nothing new to say. I'm just being a little open with you. Do you know what she said every single week during the prayer? She would always have the same prayer request. She said, I'm praying for families that deal with mental illness. Every week. And I just thought, wow, that's really it. Every week. Decades later, my mom says, did you not know that her mother sitting next to her dealt with mental illness? And she came with her mother every single church every single Sunday to church with her mom and just prayed that the Lord would help them get through that day. I never knew it. Never shared it. was never open. But what did I think? Oh, get, you know, again, as a child, I'm just being, oh, find a new prayer request. No, she was living life. You're like, wow, that's so sacrilegious. How often do we just not understand the full picture so we make it up? And we always assume the, honestly, worst. Yeah. Few people actually honor the Eighth Commandment. You guys are all like, Eighth, Eighth, man, Eighth. What is the Eighth? All right, it's not stealing. That's seven. It's not the nine, ten. It's not the coveting one. Man, Eight, Eight. Yeah, I know I'm letting it hang out there just to see. I know. Yeah. Yeah, false witness. Man, we, if you want one that we're good at breaking, that's the one, man. I'll tell you what Roger's thinking. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Did you talk to him? No. Really? All right. Yeah, well, yeah. I, here's what Cindy's thinking. Did you talk to her? No. Did she tell you what she was thinking? No. But I know what she's thinking. His commandments are not burdensome, wrote John. They're not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. That's what we experience as we gather at church. We are overcomers. We've actually overcome the world. Like when you leave this morning, if you don't have a smile on your face, and if you're not a smiler, that's fine. You can have it like inside. You keep it inside. I'm okay with that. But there should be a part of your heart that smiles because God says you have overcome the world that had you challenged this morning, that had you come in here going, what is, why is it that this is happening to me? Every week, prayers for mental illness. And I had no idea she sat 20 feet from me that her own mother was dealing with mental illness every single day. I had no idea. She didn't want me to know that. I discovered this. I got, that's not something she wanted to share. But sometimes the assumptions we make, oh, man, we do so much damage to each other. It's amazing to look at someone and just say, I hope you're doing all right, and I'm praying for you. And they may actually tell you something that's going on, or they may just say thank you. And that handshake that you make when you say the peace of the Lord, you may not understand how much you're going to need to call on that handshake two years from now. And you think it's just a handshake. It's not, because it's not a handshake. It literally is us expressing the peace of God, which passes all yeah, we'll try it again because it's fun when we put it on the same shoe. Ready? It's a piece that passes all human understanding. Well, that's just something churches do so they can meet visitors. Really? I mean, come on. That's just so silly. I have churches like, oh, we've got to change the peace of the Lord. We've got to do it so we can meet visitors. I don't want to meet visitors in the peace of the Lord. I want to meet everybody because we're all visiting the Lord as he comes and makes his presence known. Whether I've known you or not. Now, to visitors who are here, yes, I want to meet you, but I don't want to meet you in a gimmick of the peace of the Lord because the peace of the Lord is not a gimmick. It's not something churches made up so that we could talk and get names and addresses. It's something that the Lord said, I want to give this to you because every time when Jesus came to his disciples following the resurrection, he starts with what? His lead in is peace be with you because they're scared to death. And a lot of people that come to church are scared to death of what's going to happen the moment church lets out. This pattern you know. And there is some peace in it. There is some comfort in it. And this is the victory that's overcome the world. What is it? Faith. That's the victory. Faith is the victory. It is the gift that God gives to us to believe in Him. It is that sandwich at the front and end of John chapter 5. It is the place that God says, I've given you this belief so that you might love God, and in loving God, you might obey Him. As he concludes the reading this morning, verse 6 to 8, This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. See, John says, you got multiple witnesses, multiple witnesses. We're going to look at this even more next week, but that precursor, imagine what one witness looks like in a courtroom for you. You're feeling pretty good. Imagine if you've got three. Imagine if three are set there for you, and you're going, this case is mine, because I know who is testifying for me. This is what John shares with us. He says that we have the three who are testifying on our behalf. 
the Spirit who is truth, the water, and the blood. That in the water God has invited us in the blood of Christ, He has redeemed us and He guides us every day so that we might be a people who believe in what God has done to the glory and love of God the Father, that we might live out a life of obedience to what God has given us. Not so that we might earn Christ, but so we might live as He has asked us to do. The peace of the Lord be with you. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.